North South Carolina made the Final Four, and I mean, Rashawn was incredibly strong in the tournament. So it wasn't like, you know, it seemed like a big upset at the time, but they played like a Final Four team. And, yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't like we lost. We rolled a, over to a Patsy. It was a pretty, it was a pretty big upset. But I mean, we've watched enough NCAA tournaments that you know, once you get to the second round, pretty much any team can beat any team. You know, like Northern Iowa knocks off Kansas. Like, yeah, you know, just but it's validating. All, all, all the teams that are that are left are good. But yeah, I, I it's agree. Validating with you. when the team that beats it's, you makes a deep run. It's good for us that uh, they don't get blown out by thirty in the next game because they stink. Yeah. yeah, they actually beat out the team that I said stunk, Baylor. Killed them, because they stink. Yeah, so they, Scott Drew was confused. And it was like the same story in their next couple of games. They were down a bit in the first half, and they ended up running these guys off the court in the next couple of games. I mean, to get to the Final Four was a close one. And then, yeah, their game was pretty competitive. You're talking about Gonzaga? Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, they made a, a like a comeback at the end. Yeah. So they showed very well. Gonzaga looked great. I yeah. thought I thought they looked great up until the title game. I, that Nigel Goss Williams kid looked unbelievable. He Un- he unbelievable. He looked calm, very very calm. His presence yeah. was just so solid. He had so many steady. different so many different scoring moves. Yeah, and everyone looked great on Gonzaga, and I thought they played great. And they didn't look very good in the title game. In the second half of the title game, <laughs> they couldn't put the ball in the basket, and the entire game. Yeah. The big guy, Car- just, the big guy could not finish near the rim, and he had so many good looks. It was almost as if he was being paid by UNC boosters to, to blow easy layups. I mean, they were all a little they, bit challenged. Yeah, they, they were somewhat challenged, but he definitely missed a few clear was, bunnies. But if you go back and look at all our title games, you see people like Shane Battier. You look at people like uh, Lance Thomas. They, they all miss, like... Justice Winslow, they all miss bunnies in the title games because, like, I think nerves are pretty pretty nerves. big factor until yeah. they settle down, especially early in the game. But this guy yeah. never like he kept getting those looks. And what was weird is they kept throwing it to him. Like it was a point of emphasis. Very good facilitator, good passer. Yeah, but he was, uh, you know, he was clearly frustrated. I felt plus, bad for him. Plus, there weren't in that particular game. There weren't that many other options. Uh, <clears throat> their backup center, who's going to be a lottery pick, Zach Collins. Had a very good offensive game, but he was pretty much hampered by foul trouble the whole time. And I don't think anybody was really hot from the perimeter. So the refs, I thought the refs ruined the game. Like, borderline ruined the championship game. There were so many whistles, so many ticky-tack calls, especially on the interior. Yeah. Uh, And I I felt like this happened to, like, uh, Harry Giles and Bolden to an extent during the season. Like, And I heard Jay Billis talk about sort of let the guys fight for rebounds because they're, they, they seem to be calling, like, boxing out plays, anything slightly over the back. Should have been a little bit more give. Yeah, I mean, we only get 5,000 in the college game, and when both teams have all their big men with three or four fouls and not even playing that many minutes, it just seems like the balance was off. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The refs were bad, but I've just... It disrupted the whole flow of the game. I've just come to... I'm, I'm just refs. I expect college refs to be atrocious like really really bad plus the fan base is so like so like rabid that they're just going to like when their team loses they're very often going to blame the refs or, and they're going to look right. back on, on calls and calls are going to be 
terrible because the reps are terrible. And I'm not saying they called it in UNC's favor, the fix was in or anything, but but because they called such a tight whistle throughout, it was the, the, hard for the teams to get a rhythm. You're saying the quality of the game was hampered tremendously down the stretch. Yeah, it was hard to watch. I actually yeah, found it well, hard to watch yeah, so, all the fouls. So actually, it wasn't just the title game. I mean, specifically the second half of the title game. They all... all all the Final Four games, yes. like the shooting percentages were atrocious. Like, um, if you look at UNC shooting numbers in the title game, it was they shot like thirty five percent from the field, like mm-hmm. maybe twenty percent from threes, like so that's fifty seven percent from the free throw line. And you the know, free throws. UNC's free throws were horrendous. Yeah, horrendous. They, they won the game, the first Final Four game, despite that by like With getting four, a couple four of misses. rebounds. Yeah, off the free throws, but it was really weird. So, do you think yeah. it's because of the, the huge stadiums? Yeah, I mean, that narrative is, is talked about every single season. And actually, There's a reason it's talked about. And when I, and when I saw that, when I saw that, like, people always say, multiple people have told me, like, they shouldn't play in a, in a dome. But NCAA, it's a money grab for them, the Final Four. Like, they have to do it because hey, they, they, don't, they don't want 20,000 people watching. They want, like, 70,000, 80,000 people there watching. But for like, me, for me, like to, it, compared it, to the it, TV rights, do they really make that much more playing the Final Four in these huge stadiums? Like, like, you know, wouldn't it be better playing it in a basketball arena? I mean, you could play it in one of these NBA See, arenas that has twenty, two thousand seats. I, I'm probably one of the few people who who enjoys it. I like it. I think it's really cool how the floor is elevated and how the backdrop is so distant. With all the people that I, I actually really like it. I like looking back at some of these games and watching them. I imagine that the shooting is tougher, but it's tougher for both teams. And sure. what struck me about this Final Four is like I was just sort of chomping at the bit, like UNC, Gonzaga, South Carolina, Oregon, like none of them shot well. And I was just like, man, if we had just gotten by South Carolina, we would have beaten Baylor, we probably would have beaten Wisconsin, and then, you know. All, everybody on our team can shoot. If we could put on a shooting clinic, these teams look so bad offensively. I felt like we could clearly outscore them, but we, you know, well, that's like that's just, what was painful about this yeah, year. Is like, that we could have done. I was it. like, wow, yeah. like Frank Jackson, Luke Grayson, Tatum, all these guys could shoot from the outside and, and beat these teams, but like instead they're just you know declaring for the NBA draft. Yeah, I mean, it was, I wish we could have traded either Grayson or Luke at the beginning of the year for. Like a super athletic wing that could like defend multiple spots, right? Like, you know, if we we could we could have traded uh, we could have traded Grayson for Justin Winslow for the season, we would have been a much more balanced team, you know. Because how many how many outside shooters do you need uh, that that play the same position? And it wasn't like our big guys could stretch the floor. I mean, we really only had three guards. Knock down outside shots, and I think yeah. you, every team needs but it, three. The problem is when he and Luke run the floor together. Defense, defense. Yeah, I'm I mean, it's about. like justice. We could, could it's have. like you can mask him with. Usually, there's one guy on the other team that you can mask a poor defender on. But if you have two, like one of them's going to get exposed. Yeah, we had other other spots that weren't. It's not like every other spot was a great defender. I mean, even so, but, going back to the, I agree with your general point, which is which is these teams couldn't shoot. Yeah, they, we could have. Yeah, know, they, we, they they looked like poor shooters, even though they're really not that bad. But yeah. they they were pr- it was poor shooting, and I was like, man, I so, wish we could be there, like putting on a clinic. What's amazing is that UNC <clears throat> wins a national championship with a, two really poor shooting performances. <clears throat> yes. in the final two games, like that's how good they were. 
is they didn't even need to shoot near average. Like they shot, they were they were beating Gonzaga at halftime, and like no, I weren't think, they or they no, were I think they were losing by like or maybe it's just they won the games. game. They they and they they shot so poorly. Like they shot atrociously. Even even yeah. like the even like uh, uh, Joel Berry who won the. MOP like he's the only shot, guy that he, could put the ball in the back. No, but he he even he shot seven and nineteen from the floor, three yeah. three or fourteen from the outside. In the previous game, he had shot three at twelve. So like he's shooting like twenty five percent in the final four, and he was MOP. So and Justin Jackson went zero for nine in the title game from yeah. three. Um, but one nice putback towards the very end. Yeah, I mean they they went they, for him with the game on the line. They made plays. They made plays down the stretch. Yeah, and. Their big men outplayed Gonzaga's big men. Yes. And their guards defended the Gonzaga's guards I, in the second I, half. Justin Jackson well. has to get so much credit. Like, he essentially, I mean, he he was tasked with guarding Nigel Goss-Williams. Goss-Williams had poor shooting night also. He went 5 for 17. Started off well. Yeah. Um, and then and Yeah, he got injured sort of at the end. But also in the previous game against Oregon, Justin Jackson was... Um, put on, I think, a red-hot Tyler Dorsey, and then he also switched off on Dylan Brooks, and I, I don't think anyone in Oregon played well. So Justin Jackson was shutting people down. Theo Pinson was shutting people down. You had the two bigs. Um, I just love some of the storylines that came out about, you know, Kennedy Meeks had that huge game against uh, Oregon, like 25 points, 14 boards. Yeah, played great. He, you know, when he came in, he was like close to 300 pounds. And apparently he was in Roy Williams' doghouse his first two years. Um, he still must be 280, 260. He's like 260. You know, they had all these, like, fat stories come out about him. Like, um, you know, Roy Williams, signature Roy Williams is running. We're going to run all the time. I want a fast. I want fast bigs. I want a fast point guard. We're just going to run. So when the season kicks off, he always starts off by uh, timing everyone. How, 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 how far can you run in 12 minutes? As a test to see how how seriously his players took conditioning in the off season. So when you show up in like November, October, you get time twelve twelve minutes. How far can you run? Kenny Meeks was so bad. It sounds pretty old school. He had to run. He had to run it like twelve times. Um, you know, everybody else, Roy was okay with. Was pretty happy with their off season conditioning. Kenny Meeks was just a big blob of sludge. And um, this year. No, you no, mean, this like wasn't. This was like his freshman or yeah. sophomore. It was probably like his sophomore year. You know, there's there's stories about how like, so because of his overweight stuff, uh, they were trying to keep track of his diet. He's like sneaking like honey buns into his spandex compression shorts so he can eat them. <laughs> but I mean, like it's just I like it's a great story. Like this is this is. I feel like I I really like this UNC team more than most UNC teams like there isn't anybody on there that I really dislike um, might have said earlier like Joel Berry the second is probably my favorite UNC player in a long long time I think they all conducted themselves with a lot of class both last year and this year I mean it pains me to say yeah but last year but Bryce Johnson I couldn't stand Bryce Johnson he was just I mean he played big he played of course, big he yeah. played really big at senior year so was he a junior no, he was a senior. senior yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was so, I was really happy to see him cry after the title game. But nope, there's was, there wasn't anybody <laughs> like that. Yeah, I was happy to see them go down last year. And I was well, I was also yeah a big fan of Villanova. Yeah, I mean it, that was a great story. But what's interesting to me is um, how, despite the whole academic scandal 
Roy Williams is just crushing it at UNC the last few years. And, like, the team plays really well as a team. They're balanced. Yeah. They're deep. He has a deep rotation. Kids seem happy. And, uh, and like, uh, their player development really seems effective because these aren't all one-and-done guys. That's not how UNC is doing it. Well, it's like, I mean, it's almost like the, the roles have changed a little yeah, between to, Duke and UNC. To be fair, um, I think they would go for the one and duns if they if they could, but a lot of the one and dunners are queasy about going to UNC just in case they get put on probation while the, while they're there. But so, I, I agree with you. His, so like, his the composition of his team, like you know, he's got the point guard signature Roy Williams, like you know Ty Lawson, Ray Felton, um, Joel Berry. Then he's got Justin Jackson, who's amazing. Theo Pinson, defender. And then he's got four huge, huge bigs. He's got Nate Britt off the bench. His big rotation is all the guys play well. They all play efficiently. They don't. They play defense without fouling, and they're uh, okay. for the most part. Yeah. And and they they rebound. They rebound. They, they that, run that's, the floor. That's also one of the biggest thing. Yes, rebounding There's, their size. If you looked at UNC, like everyone's an, an animal, like a. So tall, with the exception of Joel Berry. Yeah, and what pains me about this year is we could have had a deep rotation too. That pains me every year, but like, <laughs> I, and it's like, but our big guys, and they're are, you know, not, Giles is young, and Bolden is young, and they're freshmen, and Jeter's a sophomore. Jeter's a sophomore, but like, we don't we don't trust our big guys the way they trust theirs. We don't give them that those opportunities, and even when those guys got to play, just. Whistles and turnovers on the defensive end. You know, You're talking about our guys, our, our young guys. guys. Yeah, so yeah. It's like it stands in stark contrast to, to the way UNC has been playing the last couple of years. Yeah, well, and I'm concerned about, you know, I'm still concerned about all this. Yeah. I'm, but, you, you, you've, you phrased it as we don't develop our big guys. Is that what you said? Well, they're developing their big guys yeah. really well. Right. Guy, guy after guy. Bryce Johnson wasn't a top 10 recruit, Kennedy Meeks wasn't a top 10 recruit. Uh, you look at Isaiah Hicks; he was a pretty good recruit, right? But like the the freshman, uh, Tony Bradley. Tony Bradley looks great. He, I think he declared for the draft. I mean, he he was he was their he one McDonald's All American. Yeah, okay. yeah. He could be an absolute stud next I mean, year. He looked like a real talent. But like the difference between how he played and how Harry Giles played this year is a big difference. I know Giles was injured. Yeah. But compare him to any of our big guys. Well, see, I don't. You know, I, he's a role player. Who knew so, his role and played yeah. very efficiently. I took exception to your phrasing. Like, from my perspective, it's that Coach. It's not that Coach K doesn't develop. He doesn't value the bigs. I don't think. Like he doesn't. It's not an integral part of the system. I think he prefers one extra like wing shooter slash scorer, mm-hmm. whereas Roy always wants two big, athletic rebounding, scoring like sort of scoring options, but mostly just big, tall, defensive rebounding guys on the floor. Coach K does not value that. I think Coach K is, you know, a little more forward thinking with how he looks at offense. And but um but there's a big difference between the NBA style where they're everybody's moving only one big on the court, one rim protecting big. Yeah. Right? And, you know, stretch fours, guys who shoot threes, and even stretch fives. But like the difference between the NBA and college is the NBA has twenty four seconds to get a shot up. Right. And so you know, it's tough for the big men to run the floor consistently and be very efficient in that kind of setting. You only have to defend the post for a pretty short period of time 
you can bring a double, you can do certain things to, to make it tough on, on the post offense. But in college, you have 30 seconds. Right. Now, it sounds like only six more seconds, except it takes, you know, it takes eight seconds, six to eight seconds to get the ball into the front court. So you take those eight seconds away, you get 16 left in the NBA, but you still have 22, 22 to 16. That's a pretty big ratio. It gives you the chance to try more things and be more patient on offense. And, uh, you know, UNC, they do push the ball, but, but also they recognize they have, like, these size advantages in the half-court offense that help them. But also, like, on defense, in the NBA, you can get away with being undersized and quick because you don't have to defend for as long. But you can get pounded, you know, with pick and roll or with just, you know, post-ups um, or, you know, repetitive penetration in, in ways in the college game, the half-court set that you don't in the NBA. And, like, having that extra big, you know, comes in a little handy. In the NBA, you kind of can't get away with it anymore. But it seems like the college game is, like, a little bit behind the NBA game in terms of how long the shot clock is and the style of play. And it's almost like the last few years we've had, you know, these these sort of NBA perimeter-oriented offenses spread the floor. But on defense, we've been weak the last five or ten years. And yeah. I think part of it is we're, we're, not, we're not putting a deep rotation of big men on the court. You know, and sometimes we don't have the guys. Yeah, but, but this year we certainly did. We this had a, year we I had, think we, we had, had a glut. Spades. We had a glut of them. Yeah, and uh, only playing one at a time. Yeah. For the most part, left left a lot of people unhappy. So, you know what? I saw a lot. You know, there's a lot of bitter bitter grapes <laughs> uh, about the, UNC winning. You know, from from Duke Nation. Uh, but I mean, but I, I don't. I, I actually, you know, like, yeah, I, I I think it's good for the rivalry when they're successful. I, I think it's good. It's also good that we could say we beat the national champs twice. You know. Yeah. Um, and we get them on the schedule, and it's a, those are big. Those yeah. games are bigger deals because of UNC stature. Right. Now, Roy Williams is uh, was the guy who couldn't win at all. Now he's won a few, right? How many's he won? Two or three? Three. He's now won three. They're more successful than us over the last fifteen years in terms of Final Fours and championships. Sure. You know, finals. You know what's interesting? What I so I went back and I looked at um, sort of the, our program in this era compared to other eras, other Coach K spans. I broke it down. How far f- back is this era that you're referring to? I'm look, I looked at the whole Coach K, whole Coach K uh, era, right? Okay. And I broke it down into four year periods. Okay. Right. And um, four year periods. Yeah. So you know, that's four a, year. That's a lot of periods. Four year presidential terms. That's so, like nine periods. Uh, yeah, that's okay. right. Um, the the overall sort of thing I was able to so when when you break it down like that, and I'll, I'll, maybe we'll post this along with the podcast, is uh, essentially the last twelve years. You know, we've won. What is it? The last. That's 16 years we've won three national championships. Yes. So there's four four-year terms uh, from 2001 through 2016. Actually, okay. is it 2002? So we won in 2010, 2015, and 2001. But those are the only Final Fours we, we've been to. That is incorrect. Oh, 2004. 
Right. Yeah. So from two, so the last last sixteen years are actually the year after we won in two thousand one. So from two thousand two season two through this year, that's sixteen years. Okay. Uh, we've been to a total of three Final Fours in okay. sixteen years. The previous, you know, sixteen years, from uh, like basically eighty six to through two thousand one. We had been to eight, no more. Yeah, we had been to more more Final Fours than that. We had been to seven out of nine Final Fours in the late eighties through the early nineties. Right. And then, so we had been to nine Final Fours, I believe. So we were in the Final Four in ninety nine and two thousand one. So nine Final Fours the previous sixteen years, and only three in the following sixteen years, and. You know, I I've been thinking that we have been sort of just as successful, if not more so, as that previous era. Obviously, nothing compares to that five finals and six years stretch between you know eighty eight and ninety four or eighty eight and ninety three. Yeah. Um, ninety four. But you know, even taking that out, like when you look at our win loss records, our win loss records over the last four eight years have not compared to the win loss records from. 98 to 2005. Uh, We haven't had any of those seasons where we've only lost two or three games. Maybe the college basketball landscape is changing. Maybe it's harder to get the Final Fours than it used to be. But it just kind of feels like we've run good when we've gotten to them. Like the last two Final Fours we've been to, we won the championship. Before that, it was 2004. We've only been to two Final Fours in 12 years. Yeah. uh, Or 13 years. Like, that doesn't sound like Duke exactly, you know? Like, uh, uh, we, mean, we have had a lot of early exits from the tournament. Even Sweet 16s, we haven't been able to, you know, rack them up like we used to. Like getting to the Sweet 16? Just getting to the Sweet 16. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it does sort of lead you to question, you know, how strong, like, it feels like the program's super strong because we're getting all these recruits, but it, the results are not actually there. You know, given our high level of success in the past, like, like is coach is the Coach K era actually dwindling down? You know, I, well, it's I ending would, soon, right? Yeah, and uh, it's just. Uh, I think your point is valid, um, in saying that the past fifteen, sixteen years, ha- um, hasn't been as successful despite the two um, national championships. But I think that's a super unfair comparison you're comparing him to a time period where probably no one will ever repeat in this culture it was the success was just too just, much just yeah you're 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 looking at like mid 80s to mid 90s and i don't think anyone will ever repeat that right but like when, his 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 track record then was incredible so 98 to 2001 we go to that's that's a four year period. We go to four Sweet Sixteens, and two Final Fours. We win three ACC titles, ACC championships, and four ACC regular seasons. Four in a row, right there. Two thousand two to two thousand five, but, but and we only lose fifteen games in those four years. Yeah. Right. However, we had Shane Battier, who's like an all timer, mm-hmm. all time leader, all time defense, okay. all time well, well, even pretty good offense too. Sure. So those four years, we win. You know. Basically, win the AC. We just sweep the ACC. Now maybe the ACC was down a little. Two thousand two to two thousand five, we go one hundred and fifteen and twenty three. JJ Redick. 
We win Sheldon th- Williams. Three out of four ACC championships. Go to four Sweet Sixteens again. Only one Final Four. How many Sweet Sixteens? Four in a row. So we actually okay. went to eight in a row between '98 and 2005. Yeah. That was a certain level of success. Right. Uh, 2006 to 2009. Those are bad years. Those aren't the strongest years, but we do win two ACC tourneys, one ACC regular season, and go to two seed 16s. Now, the last four years, 2014 and 2017, we lose 33 games. That's the most in any four-year period dating back to Pete Caudette. And we don't win any regular season titles in the last four years. We've only won one ACC regular season title in the last eight years. Yeah, I don't That think, surprised me to I don't see. think we've won it. I think that our last ACC regular season title was maybe 2011. It's been a while. Yeah. We, we, we only won one ACC tournament in the last four years. It was this year. And, you know, we go to two Sweet 16s in the last four years. I'm just saying, like, the, 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 the incredible level of success has dropped off a little in terms of consistency, in terms of actual achievement during the regular season and in the postseason. Yeah, a lot of losses. But we're kind of bailed out by these two tournament runs where we win the tournament. Like if, if, the, the if, 2010 was super lucky. I mean, if, if, if Kentucky beats Wisconsin, and then we, we go down to that historically good Kentucky team, it just feels like we're not doing as well. I, I would have... <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that game, the Duke-Kentucky game. Me too. We were playing so well then. I think, I think, so well. I think uh, Towns might have like eaten Okafor's lunch, and we would have had a lot of problems. Jefferson was our defender. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would have liked Kentucky in that game, but I would have loved to have seen it. Um, so, I, you're, yeah, I, I think you make a very, very fair point. Um, a lot of losses last two seasons. Like Last year was nine... I'm sorry. Yeah, this season was nine losses. The previous year, eleven losses. I think we lost thirty-three over the last four seasons. It's an average of eight and a quarter a year. And like I said, the previous four-year spans, it was twenty-three before that, twenty-eight, twenty-three, fifteen. That fifteen's an outlier per four-year stretches. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know, thirty-three is still pretty good. Most teams would love to go. Most teams would love to average twenty-eight and a half wins over a four-year stretch, and that's what we did. It's not that bad. No one's hitting the panic button here, right? right? But, you know, we're just taking a measure of uh, where the program's at. And it, it does lead you to question how strong the one-and-done strategy is and whether it really needs to be tempered by a secondary program of these three, four-year players where we keep them in the program, they're not transferring, and we're developing leadership and experience and the strategy of like only playing six guys and you know three yeah, or four of them being one and dones yeah just it seems like a like a, a poor a potentially very poor choice for the program and that that's what we've been talking about all year but yeah so it's tough to say no to that talent though you know like it, coach sure. K can get those guys they're the best players you should want them it's just like um Getting that chemistry and that development to all gel within one basketball season, that's an awful lot of stuff that is beyond your control. You know, like Calipari does it seemingly pretty much every season, but... They've had offers too. They've lost a lot of games. How good his team is come March Madness time is actually very dicey. Plus, you know, given their win-loss record, sometimes their seeding, you know, is is up in the air. But, like, 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at Villanova's regular season the last few years, it's better than Kentucky and Duke, and they don't get those recruits that we get. Yeah. And it just seems to me we need a second track of, of program fillers, and maybe you go after a few less of the one-and-dones, and you balance it out with the kind of guys UNC is getting. Uh, you know? It's like know. The, the, the rank of the recruit, the sexiness of that number is yeah. hard to deny. But, like, all the effort you put into Mo Bamba, and you may or may not get him, and if you do, he's only here for one season. And it's, wouldn't you be better off going after the kind of kid and, like, developing the kind of kid Roy Williams or Jay Wright's going after? I, uh, well, Right now it seems like anyone that comes in at that, on that track can't get minutes and is going to transfer. Yeah. So, it, anyhow, hats off to UNC. Yeah, um, for sure. I wanted to get to a couple other things. Um, you know, so the, the, the most pressing issue is, you know, that we've been looking at and thinking about every day is who's staying and who's going. Um, and we, Everyone's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so last time we talked, Chase Jeter had already declared transferring. He's gone yeah. to the West Coast somewhere. Sean, I don't remember if Sean Obi had I as well. I think he had. The news came today that he's visiting Maryland. Um, you know, is that like, uh, is that extending the middle finger to the program a little bit? Or is it just, you know, that's a good basketball program. We don't know. Uh, so sh- goodbye, Sean Obi. Goodbye, Chase Jeter. Luke Kennard declared since we last did our podcast. Yeah. We're kind of wishfully thinking he might come back. I don't think but, he's um, coming back. Yeah, I think it's the right call for him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I'm not. Stock's probably not going to get much higher. It's not going to get much higher, and I'm not. Like, what do you. How do you. The more people look at his. You think defense, he'll be okay in the NBA? I don't think he'll be that good. I don't know. I think it. It's one of those situations where you have to look at, like, I used to think of NBA prospects as, I think of how good they could be and the best player comparison I could make and be like, is he going to be that? For and Kennard, it's Larry Bird. <laughs> for Luke Kennard, it's... Uh, Definitely not Larry Bird. Luke Kennard, it's like, a, like a, some kind of, some kind of, like, a Casey Jacobson plus, you know, or... Yeah, that's a decent comparison. I mean, he washed out after, what, four or five years? Yeah, or maybe, maybe the better one is... Uh, I sort of like that one. Yeah, yeah it's a similar kind of player. There are guys like that that do well. I mean, Matt Harpering had a really good career. He's a little bigger. He could rebound. I like Matt Harpering a lot. Yeah. No, he's, Matt Harpering, he's burly. Matt Harpering was more of a physical beast. Burly and athletic. And less of a... He was a really good defender, actually. Anyhow, but like... I'd like to get into all the comparisons when we do our like official draft one in a couple, like in a month, and we'll, we'll talk about all the guys that have declared, where we think they're going to go, how we think they're going to do. We can make some predictions on the record. And I, then, I already hear that there's some Carolina Bobcat Charlotte uh, talk of uh, Giles. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Giles declared as well. We weren't 100% sure he was going. We were pretty sure he was going. All the... All the there was no indication he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, Giles left. Tatum had already declared by the time we, we talked last time. And um, he's sort of moving up and down in draft boards. Basically, what, what we're left with at this point is Frank Jackson, who I don't believe has actually said what he's doing, but everybody expects him to come. Most people expect right. him to come back. Right. Grayson Allen hasn't said anything. Silence. Radio silence. He must be still weighing his options. It feels like no news is good news. and feels like he's coming back. You know, it must be fifty percent at at least at this point. I hope. 
it would be really good for the team. We, we need some experience because those are the only two guys, along with Bolden. There's, there's Bolden. Yeah. Oh, and Bolden. There's the Bolden declares coming back. That also happened since the last podcast, which yeah. was surprising. Which was, uh, I yeah, it's a little surprising. I, I did when it came out. Like I thought that was a really weird and iffy declaration. They actually announced yeah. that he was leaving. Somebody reported on well, Twitter before. Yeah. Nobody announced. Somebody well, reported. Somebody tweeted. It. I somebody think it was reported. Adam Rowe on two four seven. Said yes. he's he's uh, transferring, and I was like, okay, that's standard. That, that then the sense. next day, Bolden releases a statement through Duke, which, like, from my eyes, didn't seem like a really a heartfelt, um, like, a, hey, I love this place, I'm going to stay. It's this is great. It's more like I'm, I'm sort a, of stuck I'm a prisoner. <laughs> I have no good options. This is the the least worst option for me. That's that's what it sounded like to me, and it it also put the thought into my mind that like he might transfer later like a month or two down down the road I don't know if there's a timeline time frame for doing that but like it wouldn't shock me if he he's not going to be able to get this this I mean if he transfers after next year the same problem repeats no I'm, I'm not talking about after yeah. next year I'm just talking about like two oh, weeks three I mean, weeks a month a month he might decide yeah. to transfer right he might change his mind like it just didn't seem like it was like a huge stamp of support for for his Duke experience, I think he made a decision, and uh, you know the 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 rumor mill is is that it's not a decision he really wanted to make, but it's a decision he kind of felt like he was probably forced to make. Yeah, but and you know we don't know. Maybe they had some good talks over those days, and the rumor coaching mi- staff re-recruited him. Rumor mills were also that he was lazy, uninspired, unfocused in practices and preparation. It would make sense that, that why didn't he play? Like it, yeah. that, that there was some split between his attitude and what the coaches expected. Yeah, and that happens at Duke. Guys, guys don't don't bring it in practice. Yeah, see, and they just, won't play in the game. That's, I don't know if that's the case. That's what I don't understand. Is like yeah. when you recruit these guys, shouldn't you get a really really good grasp of their character, their work ethic, their focus, their preparation. Like they recruited these guys. Like I think what I think, what, I think what goes, a lot of these what goes into the vetting process. Yeah, I think a lot of these you know, kids, like they just they're they rec- AAU stars they, that they are recruit soft. them and then they just they Well they don't know man. They don't know. The so, kids say the right things. So they're, they're all recruiting polished. kids and they, they talk to their head coaches, their AAU coaches, yeah. their family friends, their parents, and then all of a sudden they come to campus and Bolden is like unfocused and lazy. Like I just don't buy it. Like, what do you think? These kids are all LeBron James, super motivated to work every day, work harder than everybody else. All of them. Some of them are just gifted, especially yeah. the big guys. Like they're in like, high school, they just, just dunk over everyone. Well, they're playing AAU ball and they're, they're they're getting pumped up. They're getting free shoes. They're getting like announced. You ever watch these AAU tournaments? Like, no, it's never. a lot of styling and showcasing. There isn't a lot of defense, and it. it you know, that's what it is. That's the culture. Okay. So, like, if you restricted yourself to, you know, hard-nosed players that were 16 years old when you started recruiting them, 15, you don't know. You don't know how guys are going to turn out. And they, they show up to college, and that's supposed to be the wake-up call, right? Like, okay, now yeah. you got to work. Everything should be tougher. and But, like, know. they don't know what they're in for. And then it turns out, yeah, there's other seven-foot guys on the team, and they're working harder than you, and they're playing ahead of you, and you get pissed. And... You don't handle it right because you're a kid, man. You know you're a kid who's had everything handed to you. Uh, I just I can't wrap my head around that. You but, know, like the coaching staff recruited Chase Jeter, they recruited Marquise Bolden. They should have had a very good sense of who they were as kids. And apparently, Chase Jeter is a great kid, smart kid, yeah, good student. 
so you know we don't know like we I just don't know what happens yeah I don't get it but I wonder if like you know every staff has like probably good cops and bad cops on it yeah and there is something about the dynamic over the last four or five years where players are not getting pumped up the right way by whoever's the good cop to come back and and achieve what they need to achieve in practice or just in off-season workouts to get to the point where, you know, I don't know if it's they're not coming back and prove they're not working hard enough or if Coach K isn't, isn't sort of seeing the progress. To me, Chase Jeter looked like he improved a lot from freshman to sophomore year. Yeah, just the, I don't just know the handful happened. of games. Yeah. yeah, it just seemed like, okay, this guy actually worked. Yeah, and I don't know what got him discouraged. Who knows, right? Coach K's always had this like philosophy of like, you know, survive or die with his practices. Like Joey Beard died, Greg Newton kind of survived, but then kind of died again. Like there's guys that just sort of wash out or like seem to earn his derision and scorn. Like they just they're, they're disfavored, and then there's guys that seem like Tyler Thornton. Who you don't think is gonna? You're just like, huh? You know, like, why is that guy is playing? That you know, he, as good as he is, as already working, but yeah. it, there's something about the culture that Coach K likes that dynamic. Like he likes the fact that some people fail, and they're an example to all the guys who are working hard. You know, there's there's a doggy dogness to the Duke program. I still recall watching a Duke video in the late '90s, Ricky Price, uh, who had actually a very promising freshman and sophomore year like I remember he was making some game-winning shots against Maryland super talented yeah, spin yeah. moves yeah he was he he just looked the part he was and and something something happened something misters this is pre Twitter pre social media something happened and he just never saw the light of day and in his exit interview he was just like you know well, he played he just played a lot less he came off the bench his junior and senior year like something a, horrific happened like yeah. he like dated Coach K's daughter or something. I mean, <laughs> obviously he didn't, but it seems like something like that happened. I mean, we were actually speculating that about Bolden this season. Like, what what did this guy do to, you know, whatever. But Ricky Price was like, in practice, it was clear that I was one of the best players on the team. Like, my teammates will vouch for it. Like, I was one of the best players on the team. I never saw the light of day. So, like, something something goes on, you know, like... Where yeah. Coach K just writes off people. Well, there's things and like, we don't know about. It could be an attitude. It could be the way he course, responds to coaching. Of course, but it's a lot of transfers. And, and it's funny, it's like, a lot after, of after, like, Sean Obi transferred, like, I, like more and more UNC voices came out and said, hey, we haven't had a transfer in, like, five five years since, like, Larry Drew. Um, and we have good players transferring. You know, Semi Ojale. Derek Thornton's, Derek Thornton's going to be very good next year. Who's that? Derek Thornton. Derek Thornton, yeah. Very Derek, good. We, could, we could have used Derek Thornton. In this program, so yeah, uh, you know the transfers continue, and we were surprised there wasn't a third. We thought it would look real bad if there was. Bolden, so Bolden coming back does okay. provide us with a little bit of depth. You know, we got Brankovic back. He, he he's an eligible mm-hmm. for some minutes. He's not like we don't want to really have to rely on him. Playing. I'm more looking forward to possibly Javin Delorier being like a. I'm glad Javin Delorier didn't announce that he's transferring because that's the kind of player it feels like we. Could be on that four-year yeah, development. He program. could be like a Lance Thomas, Emil Jefferson type. Yeah, we just have no idea, um, but we'll see. 
Um, so we're still waiting for Grayson. We're assuming Frank Jackson's coming back. Yeah. And even if Grayson comes back, we have a deep hole of uh, we got, the freshmen are going to have to come in and, and play a lot of minutes. And so Coach K hit the recruiting trail right away, like you mentioned in last week's podcast. Uh, I thought we'd just uh, you know, talk briefly as an intro Even, okay. for, on each of the guys that have committed. You said you said big hole. I actually don't necessarily agree with that. Even if we don't well, We have get, a lot of playing yeah. time to give out. I, I, roles I know that there are two, maybe three guys that we're targeting. We're hopefully getting two of them. But even if we don't get any of them, which I think is highly unlikely, in the truck already. our lineup would be Frank Jackson, Grayson Allen, um, if Grayson Wendell, uh, Wendell Carter, <laughs> Gary Trent Jr., and Marquise Bolden, which I think is a very competitive lineup. That's like, five it, guys. That's six. That's be... five guys. That's all Coach K plays. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I think that would be very competitive with, you know. Th- that would be a fine lineup, and we would certainly be able to be a, a top 20 team with that lineup. Right. So I agree. I agree with that. And what I'm saying, there's holes. Like the new guy, Wendell Card and Gary Trent have to come in, start, and contribute, which they're going to do for right. sure. I mean, they may or may not start. We'll see. Uh, and we do have guys, some guys on the bench. It's not like there's nobody there. Yeah. I mean, Frankovic can pl- he could play. He can be on the mm. court and play. We might not be yeah. thrilled. Like he's not going to be an all star. We and would have Frankovic, Delorier, and Jack White coming off the bench. Jack White. I bet Jack White shoots pretty well. Right. And if those guys were in Villanova's program, they'd, they'd see minutes and they'd become contributors. So they may also for us out of necessity. So uh, I thought we'd talk briefly about Wendell Carter and Gary Trent Jr. Sure. Uh, I watched, I went on, you know, did a little YouTube deep dive uh, this week. Uh, I watched some Wendell Carter. He's basically like a rail thin. He's thin? No, uh, he's not thin. He's pretty thin. He's pretty thick. He's long. Okay. He's got incredible length. And he's like 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, uh, without shoes, maybe 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, I would think he's taller. I looked at his measurements on Draft I think Express he's taller. Today. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you they think may he announce could be him, six seven six eight. They may announce him as six ten six eleven, but but he's. You think he might be six seven? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's without shoes, measured at six eight, possibly six nine now. Okay. But usually they, they when they do height, they talk yeah. about with shoes, so they add add an inch. Okay. Add an inch and a half. So so he's like yeah, he's six ten. He's basically a four. He can play five. Uh, what I noticed, you know, going into sort of what he's good at, is he actually he actually has a three point shot. Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter okay. actually has some range. He has like a, a nice look and touch on the shot. Yeah. I don't think it's consistent. Right. It's not a consistent weapon for him. Uh, he finishes around the basket with, with both hands. He's uh, He seems like he's supposed to be a pretty good defensive player. He can like, his movement is really good. Uh, and right. he's, guess what? He's healthy. Yeah. There's no ACL tears. There's no knee or foot breaks. So... He's a live body coming in. He played on the U.S. under-17 team and uh, was incredibly efficient in, like, I think in six, something like 16 or 18 minutes a game for that team, he scored over 20 points a game. Okay. Like, he was just, his PER was off the hook. The guy the guy reminds me of, of a, sort of like the player Harry Giles was maybe supposed to be. Okay. Um, you know, but he's healthy and maybe not not at quite as high a ceiling as, you know, the next Chris Webber or anything. Right. But he looks like he's going to be a baller to me. Yeah. Um. So he's a guy who everyone's kind of penciling into the lineup, yeah. and for good reason. Yeah. Uh, he's and offensively polished. 
yeah, pretty polished and um, def- and a two-way player. So that's good. He's um, the other thing that's interesting. Two, about two-way him, player. Yeah, defense. He's defense. Good defensively. Yeah, okay. supposed to be real good defensively. Great movement, closing out. That's good. Can guard multiple positions. I, I'm actually looking forward to Carter and Bolden starting and playing and being rim protectors next year. Yeah. I think that'd be good. <laughs> that <laughs> that'd would be, that would be great. That'd be great. Those guys should be able to play together. Yeah. Um, especially because, you know, Carter can stretch the floor a little if if he's able to keep improving his three-point shot. Yeah. Um, you got to re- even respect his 15 or 18-footer in college. That's a big deal. Uh, the other thing I noticed is that he... He's not sort of young in his body. He, uh, as like a 16-year-old, as a 15-year-old, he was already like 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, okay. So it's not like he just sprouted up and he's real thin. That's the, he is strong. He's supposed to be pretty strong. He can get moved around in the post a little by, by big bull players, you know, like Kennedy Meeks would still be able to back him down. But uh, he's a guy who's been in his body for a while and has a polished game. So, okay. uh, so excited to, to look at tape of him. Recommend you guys go on to YouTube and look at look at some of his footage. Um, did you want? Did you have any info on Wendell Carter or thoughts? Yeah, I I I'm on the other side. I never look at the YouTube videos <laughs> because yeah. I just feel like they all make the kids look out. They they make them look incredible because they never miss in these yeah. things. Sure. They they never miss and like they're playing against significantly inferior competition. Right. My, uh, so my, that's one source of information. My other is I read the entire Draft Express sort of scouting strengths and weaknesses on all these about guys. him. Yeah, so, yeah, so they're usually pretty objective. So for me, Wendell Carter uh, had a could have gone to Harvard. Supposed to be really smart, but I listened to an interview. He didn't seem that sharp. <laughs> Wasn't like you know very articulate. Sure. Um, he he did he did mention that you know like. He would talk a little bit about the evolution of the game. Like, there aren't that many shacks. Like, you have to be multifaceted. And as a big man, like, he wants to incorporate that outside shooting also. And he also did say that he played, uh, he's played a lot with Trayvon Duvall, and he's in his ear a lot. So I think that that would be a huge factor if we could get Trayvon. Um, talk about Gary Trent Jr. real quick, and then we'll move on to Trayvon, who's the most pivotal recruit that we have not landed yet, I think. Uh, Gary Trent reminds me of uh, he's just like a real solid shooting guard beautiful touch on his shot loves to shoot like um, reminded me he's like 6'5 yeah. uh, maybe 6'4 without you know without shoes on uh, he's actually got pretty good length uh, for his height 6'8 or 6'8 length um, you know reach and then uh, what's interesting is uh, he seems a little more one dimensional as an offensive player like he has a mid a little bit of a mid range game, but he struggles a little to finish around the basket or you know against tough competition. But he's a like a dead eye shooter, uh, better off the catch and off the dribble. But he can shoot off the dribble, which is not something a lot of guys can do. Put up like prolific scoring numbers in high school against really good competition. Um, he's from California, somewhere. I think. Yeah. Um, somewhere in the west. Yeah, I'm, mix, I'm mixing up the guys. That, but uh, he's like, you know, he's on like a, he goes to a private, like basketball academy type yep. of school. And yep. he also has sort of like hit his height early and has lived in his body. He's supposed to be pretty strong. And, um, you know, just seems like a very, very solid two guard. Uh, 
you know, just just a stand another standard Duke two guard recruit who can shoot the lights out. I think he's going to be a better defender than most of our two guard shooters. Okay. So, you know, he's had a pretty pampered existence, you know, in terms of his AAU and high school career. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem lightning quick, so that's the negative. He's not super quick. Um, he. I've heard Trayvon Duvall is lightning quick. Now let's get him a trade out. Not Duvall, <laughs> man, because he, hold on before we get there. <laughs> uh, did you hear about his dad? Gary Trent Jr.'s dad. Gary Trent Jr.'s dad was Gary Trent, the Shaq of the Mac. Okay. Uh, he was a famous, famous college basketball player back when we were in college. He was a, just an incredible player. You didn't read the human interest story that came out like a week or two ago? No, I didn't. Tell us about it. His dad was like a, uh, was, his family forced him to be a drug dealer uh, as a kid. Okay. It was super long. Anyway, oh, that's, wow. that's it. That's, if you want to read about that, it's a pretty interesting piece. Okay, his dad was a was a first round NBA pick. Yeah, and uh, so he obviously overcame whatever. Overcame like a really really rough childhood. Okay, wow. You know, like where did he play? Did he play Ohio University. Um, from Columbus. Yeah, I don't know. And uh, yeah, Ohio University in the MAC. His nickname was the Shack in the MAC. He was six eight. Um, so. I actually, when we first recruited Gary Trent Jr., I, th- I, I was thinking about the same guy. I thought it was going to be a big guy. <laughs> fat stack kind of guys. Like, you know, and it turns out he's more like... Uh, Clay Thompson, maybe? Clay Thompson and Michael Thompson? Eh, I'm going to say he's more like, uh, like Bimbo Coles. <laughs> he's more, I hope he's like Clay Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Clay Thompson would be his absolute top... Yeah, but I bring him because Clay Thompson's dad was Michael Thompson, the number okay. one overall pick who was a center. I like that. I like that. Yeah, Gary Trent Sr. was the 11th pick in the first round of the 95 draft. That uh, was a draft that did not. Uh, anyhow, so he was picked by the Bucks. He had a he played in the league for 12 years, so uh, he was three-time Mac Player of the Year and set all sorts of records. He was a great college player. Um, so there's real. Uh, Legacy there, which is cool. I like. I always like that at Duke. You get these legacy players, uh, Trayvon Duval. So you know, one of the big, one of my big problems with the team this year is we didn't have that traditional point guard, um, Frank Jackson. I always felt like it's more of an off the ball or like lead two guard kind of player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not. We'll be all right if Frank Jackson's the point guard. You know, he can modulate a little bit. But I think modulate. Trayvon modulate his game. You know. Modulate. Modify. Uh, <laughs> modulate. So Trayvon Duvall, I'm watching his package, and I'm reading about him, and oh my God, this guy, if you, want, you, sh- you should go on YouTube and watch this guy. He's got incredible hands, big hands, which I always love in my players, incredible quickness, like just sick ball handling, sick like street ball kind of passes, ball handling, jukes, Fakes, you know, the only the only negative of Trey Duvall is his outside shot is not 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 famously great. Inconsistent outside shooter for like the level of player he's supposed to be. He's projected as a top five pick in next year's NBA draft. Yeah. But he's uh he's like a really good defender, incredible in the open court, like flies. Flies, he he above he's, the rim. So is he exactly like De'Aaron Fox? I think you know, I was like thinking John, of who I'd compare him to. He reminds me of like a cross between, 
cross between maybe like a Kyrie and but the guy who really made me think of was uh, Sebastian Telfair hmm. as, as a high school player you're taking people down memory lane Sebastian Telfair is like a <laughs> legendary New York playground legend. playground guy he was drafted in the lottery by the dro- by the uh, Jailblazers did he go to Georgia he, Tech? No, so, no, no 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 Telfair uh, you're thinking of uh, Marbury yeah, I mean I know Marbury went there also along with Kenny Anderson but Sebastian Telfer, I think, came right out of high school. Okay. This is yeah, the, the no, right out of high see. school era. That sounds right. You know, and um, late 90s, early aughts. And, you know, tore up, his, tore up his knee, I think. Ended up, like, having some real setbacks. Okay. But, uh, but he reminds me of that. I could see, like, a John Wall kind of comparison. I don't think that... Um, like, Kyrie doesn't strike me as super quick Duvall's along, not that along those lines. Duvall. And he's also ha- has... He's always had a beautiful outside shot. What Kyrie has command. This kid seems like he has real command of his game. Okay. And real command, like, you know, in terms of passing, he, he seems like a slightly more, like, you know, he's looking looking to get his own a little bit. Yeah. Maybe, you know, if we're comparing with this year's crop of point guards, it might be a little more like the kid from NC State. Uh, but better. Dennis Smith Jr.? Yeah, but, but a little better. Okay. He's, so he's only 6'1". Right, six one, six two. He's not as tall as like a John Wall, uh, but he's got you know he's got a little more Iverson in his game, I guess. Then if we're going for a mainstream sounds, comparison, that sounds horrific. No, the, the, trust <laughs> me, man. Watch this kid play. His defense is exceptional. He's a two way player. Yeah, and he's a floor general, and he just makes incredible plays. You know, according to the highlight reels. But no, even according to Draft Express, the guy is like completely off the hook. Yeah, this is the guy we need. This is, in my opinion, we. This is what we need. We we get this guy, and we can start talking about potential national championship. You know, if Grayson comes back, <laughs> and if we get one of these other recruits. Uh, did you do any research on trade of all? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I didn't really ask you to do research. It's sort of like just impromptu today. I just happened to get on a deep dive this I just, week. On I, it. I feel like uh, selfishly, I feel like if Trayvon Duvall comes. And Grayson comes back. Mm-hmm. Frank Jackson might not start, which would personally pain me. Frank Jackson or Gary Trent probably will be. Gary, Gary Trent. There'll be, be a three guard offense. Gary Trent probably will not start. Uh, yeah, I would think Frank Jackson would more likely be the starter, and Gary yeah. Trent would. But uh, the bench. We'll, like we're, we're missing Kevin Knox. Well, we, we'd, be, we'd, be, we'd, be pretty, we'd be pretty small on the perimeter. Um, okay. I'm having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, we haven't talked about Kevin Knox. So Kevin Knox is the other guy, the like a vicious above-the-rim wing player. Yes, he's tall. Uh, he's like 6'8", 6'9". Six, 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 yeah. Um, like, everything coming out of his camp was that they were happy that all these two guys left for the NBA. You know, what's most important is playing time. It seems like his dad is a little bit overbearing. So I guess we should mention, we, we think we're the leader in the clubhouse for Duvall. We, yeah, I we th- think yeah, that. I think that's been... We yeah. think that's the case. So not not us, people who know. Yeah. Like the yeah. recruiting gurus. Yeah, people say that. Yeah. Uh, Knox, we thought we were the leader as well, and him and Duvall are tight, but now maybe it's been opened up. He pushed his announced date back a couple weeks, and it turns out what he's... Yeah, I mean, it Tell was me it, it was always, uh, I think, Duke, Kentucky, UNC, and Florida State. Is it Florida State? Um, but yeah, Florida yeah. State wants him. Yeah, but now uh, 
He took a last-minute trip to... Uh, UNC. He's UNC's top target. Yeah. Yeah. UNC's. I mean, UNC is saying, like, he looks just like Kennedy Meeks, face-wise. What? I don't know if I... If yeah, I he's going to play more like... Agree uh, with that. Play differently. More like Jerry Stackhouse. Maybe. Um, I haven't really seen him. But, like, at the Nike uh, Summit, Hoops, like, Hoops, camp, Hoops Camp, he was uh, roommates with Michael Porter, who's yeah. the number one overall re- recruit, who changed... He. Michael Porter was going to go to Washington, but after they fired, uh, was it Lamar, the Washington coach? Yeah, the Washington coach got fired. Lorenzo. So something. Lorenzo Martin. Yeah, he was going to go. The top recruit yeah. next year was going to go to Washington. Also switched to Missouri. Changed his mind. Yeah, so he switches to Missouri. And apparently, Michael Porter and Kevin Knox were roommates at the Nike Summit uh, camp, and they're good friends and. He was just talking, 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 and Kevin Knox puts Missouri on the list, takes a visit, takes a visit and now, this weekend, now people are talking. And he pushes his date back, so now people are thinking, hey, maybe Missouri's going to be the dark horse here, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not even thinking about Missouri as a big-time program right now, but, you know, it's a legit, yeah, it's a big school, it's got it's, got its pluses. Uh, do you know who the coach is of Missouri right now? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Got to Google. I don't even know who's coaching Missouri basketball. All I remember, they had a really good run underneath that guy who got the program on probation. For, remember that for, guy? Was Quinn, it like Frank Haith or something? something I thought like you were talking about Quinn Snyder. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking <laughs> about Frank Haith. Uh, Quanzo Martin is the head coach of Missouri. Martin. You remember Quanzo Martin? Didn't he go there from Cal? Quanza Martin was a big time player, yeah, back in the but late nineties. I think he was coaching Cal also. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, it seems like Michael Porter is yeah. is of the ilk of like. Yeah, say, he just came over from Cal. He did pretty well at Cal. Like yeah. Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, like all these overall number one recruits go to lesser programs and they miss the tournament, and it seemed like. That's the Michael, Michael Porter was going to do the same thing because, you know. But if he could get Kevin Knox. The the issue is like Knox and, and Michael Porter sort of play the same style. They're both like 6'8 athletic wings. Um, but I, I, th- I felt like Kevin Knox's dad might be a little bit overbearing. I, I feel like Coach K is resistant to that. You know, like he was resistant to Derek Thornton's uncle. He was resistant yeah. to Chris Burgess's. Dad, like, because yeah, what's Burgess the came. What, Burgess came? Yeah, right. But then he left. There's a guy who goes, like it's it's all about like if, if the dad is over. Like I actually heard that uh, that's one of the reasons he pulled out of the Kevin Love recruiting is because Kevin Love's dad was overbearing in the same regard. Like and we were mentioned if, if your if your dad yeah. is like just constantly pounding the playing time. Yeah, like, nobody wants that. They're probably gonna call Coach K like every night. Like, why isn't my kid playing? Why isn't my kid playing? And you know the talent has to outweigh the the headache. Kwanzaa Martin played for Purdue for Gene Cady, and um, he was a second round pick. I remember Gene Cady. That was when we were in college as well. Yeah. Like I knew the name sounded familiar. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, Kevin Knox seems to me like yeah, he would be a great guy to get. He's a super talented player. He's le- has less of a refined game sort than of, sort of like Winslow. He's a slasher, an above-the-rim kind of like great open-court player. He would pair very, very well with Trey Duvall. Right. But in the half-court, you know, I might compare him to more like a, like, a, like a Jonathan Isaac. I mean, 
Wow, that's a big comparison. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, he's a, he's a tall, rangy uh, wing player with an inconsistent outside shot, but very athletic. Kind of guy we don't usually get. Um, but, yeah, we could use him. We could use a little depth next year. You know, can't only play five guys every game. <laughs> and we he, would, he would instantly be the sixth or seventh guy, I, I think. I, well, so if we get Knox and, and Duvall, I feel like it'll be Duvall either Frank or Grayson, probably Grayson, and then Knox, and then two bigs. Or maybe Coach K goes one big and then plays both Grayson and, and Frank. If we're playing seven guys like we would expect them to play, yeah. and that's the rotation. Based on history. Then those seven guys should all get significant minutes. And, you know, the actual starting lineup, I mean, who knows? Who knows? It'll, it'll, it'll settle itself yeah. out and uh the other guy, um, so you know, we don't know what's going on with Kevin Knox. We we heard he was leaving yeah, with Trey Dubois. I, I felt like now we were, he's probably going to do some soul searching. I felt right? like it was close to a coin flip with maybe like a small favorite, maybe like a two three weeks ago. But now it feels like there are more more colleges in the mix. Yeah, my friend who knows things, and I, I do have one friend who knows things. <laughs> he he said, I believe he said seventy and eighty percent Knox and Duval. Like Duval was eighty, Knox was seventy. This is as of maybe. Ten week, days ago, yeah, we can have uh, to go. Now I imagine he would he would say Duval's still a pretty strong favorite, and uh, Knox is I don't know what he would say maybe thirty to sixty percent somewhere in there. So I think it could go either way. Um, this guy's a member of the Illuminati. This guy knows things. Uh, what does he say about Muhammad Bamba? Uh, Bamba he has as like a like a twenty twenty five percent chance. So Bamba's the other guy, Mo Bamba. Do you read about his wingspan? I watched him today. He looks like Nerland, like a longer, freakier Nerland's Noel. No, um, seven foot eight, seven foot nine wingspan. Right, like a true seven foot tall guy. Not a polished offensive game, but just a defensive animal. Defensive animal in terms of like rim protection. Like he's potentially going to be like a historically good NBA rim protector. Right, that's his. That's his. That's a ceiling. You always say historically. His, his down. That's a ceiling. Before these kids have that's ever seen the court. His downside is is that he's not actually that polished a basketball player, and so you know, his downside is Yinkadare, right? Like, like his downside is he just washes out because he's actually not good at basketball, even though he's a freak, yeah. physically, and like as a one and done player, it seems to me those guys aren't necessarily always going to be great for the program. Great guys contributors. That, Right, except in this one year that they're, they're except when this guy's in the game, if they use him right, you know, teams should shoot a very low field goal percentage against us, and we should be able to play a whole style of defense around this guy. Yeah, like unlike a lot of players we we get, you know, I'm struggling to think of someone like him that we've had. Um, you know, maybe like senior Brian Zubek as a rim protector was pretty good. But, but nobody's ever like I don't remember he's any of our big guys. He is more of a better rebounder than a shot blocker. Really great rebounder. No, none of our guys are like blocking five shots a game. Right. That I, I mean, can remember. I have to go back to Sheldon Williams, who was a great blocker, but it, he wasn't like a ferocious like. Sheldon Williams is the best shot blocker of the modern Duke era. But yeah, yeah. he wasn't. He was good. He was a good. He was good, good but it's not like he was like he a, wasn't a, Anthony Davis. Yeah, no one's Noel shot blocking type. Yeah, exactly. He's not a dominant force. He was. He was a good like um, 
This guy could be face, like face on blocker. Shavlik yeah. was a good help help blocker. I guess you know I might think of Mobama as like a like a more athletic Dikembe Mutombo. That kind of like he has that kind of length. Say that again. I, <laughs> like, I just want this on the record. Well, I'm thinking of Dikembe <laughs> as an older player, kind of you know he 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 wasn't that fleet of feet. He didn't move that well. Bamba. He's going to be a more athletic Dikembe Mutombo. Bamba's got Dikembe Mutombo length. Okay. I mean that's pretty special. That's pretty incredible. You know. He's probably got longer wingspan than Dikembe had, even. Um, I mean, he's the, not the, quite the term tall. unicorn gets thrown around so often, I felt like Dikembe was a unicorn. Yeah. It's like we just don't see human beings like this very often. He was a bit of a liability on offense, though. He was never a good offensive player. And I think the same would be true. Like, Bamba might be a Matumbo at the college level. We don't know what he's going to be in the NBA. Anyhow, Bamba... We're, we're not going to. We're, I don't think, we're not going to get this guy. I don't think we're getting Bamba. Once Bolden came back, I, I think he's, I felt he's, like he's our going chances to were shot. Yeah, he's going to Kansas or Kentucky. Kentucky. He's probably Kentucky. He and seems I, like a Kentucky guy. The concern is Trey Devon might decide to go to Kansas. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. Frank Mason's gone. Yeah, uh, and then there was one other thing that came up this week. Couple couple brothers transferred from Memphis. Yeah. Like, uh, we're real dissatisfied. I was surprised. Tubby I was surprised Smith. we were in, in the... Uh, we got mentioned yeah. all of a sudden out of like four or five schools that... And here's a guy, here's a kids with a father, like an overbearing father. Yeah. Because he actually got hired at, uh, at Memphis, Memphis to be an assistant. But I guess Tubby Smith relegated him to being kind of just... Tubby like, Smith is in Memphis, huh? Tubby Smith, but not... not Doing that well. The Tubby Smith, the guy who won the national championship at Kentucky? The one and only. That guy? But guess what? These were his two best players. Yeah. And like his two biggest recruits. And they both transfer. And guess what? The best one of these brothers is in high school. And then he's got an eighth grade or ninth grade younger brother. There's like four of them. Wow. And so they transferred to Kansas? I think so, yeah. yeah. They, they announced for Kansas. And what a coup for Kansas because if these guys work out, they might get these other two guys. And Kansas is just going to keep rolling. So these guys have to sit out a year, but one of them averaged 20 and 8. The other averaged like 12 or 13 and 6. And um, That's surprising. Because if, if you have numbers like that, you would think they would play one more year and then go into the draft. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, my feeling is it had to do with the father. Okay. The father, like the father's career. The father. You know, um, but who knows? I don't know. Okay. Anyhow, we didn't get those guys, and then um, I wonder if there are any other transfer possibilities. There's a kid transferring from Washington with that coach getting fired. Yeah. It was one of their better young players, actually produced uh, this year. Like you know, like a big guy, like a like a forward, like a combo forward who like scored maybe 12 points and had eight rebounds a game, like a, like a Sean Obi player. And he threw out. Duke's he threw. Name. Duke was being mentioned as a possible destination. I mean, I think everybody knows we're we're lacking some depth heading into next year, and there may be a chance there to come in as a transfer. Situation where in the past we might have like taken a JUCO transfer, um, like a Rodney Hood. Uh, he was not a JUCO transfer. No, he was. Who was a JUCO transfer? Rashawn McLeod wasn't JUCO. I don't think we've ever taken a JUCO transfer. I think we had one. Okay. Yeah, we might we might take a transfer uh, from somewhere, but the transfer has to sit out a year. But if it's a grad assistant, you know, so I don't know. 
Um, Maybe you're thinking about Coach K's Army days when he took JUCO transfers. Maybe. Yeah, I think there was a Duke. There was one Duke JUCO Please transfer. Please don't waste everyone's time looking this up. <laughs> there was one. Uh, first JUCO prospect, 2010. Some guy named Carrick Felix. Well, that one didn't work out. Well, with the conclusion of the season, I'm trying who's, to like Carrick Felix rack my brain. Can you help me to care less about Duke basketball? I want to. I want to care less. It's exciting right now. It's actually an exciting part of the off season. What is happening? I opened up the window. It's an exciting part of the off season because we don't know what's going to happen with Grayson. We have like, so like, few carryovers from the, from this season. This Trayvon Duval recruiting and Knox, like these are actually pretty high stakes in terms of how you know whether we're actually going to come back loaded as usual yeah. or whether we're going to come back like with a pretty empty pantry, you know, and a very like thin, very thin bench. Yeah. Because as this year proved, you can get a guy or two to go down with injuries. We come back with only five like top talents, and the next guy off the bench is Rankovich and Jack White and Delarie. And one or two guys go down with injuries. Hey, it's gonna be might be a tough year. Uh, we're we're spoiled. We're not used to like real hardship. Like even this year wasn't such a hardship. We were still stacked. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens and uh, how these guys pan out. Yeah, we'll keep following it. Right. And uh, you know, a couple weeks we do our next one. We'll hopefully have all the answers. Uh, and uh, if Grayson, you're listening, buddy, we take back everything we said. <laughs> and and uh, well, please come back. Please come back. We need you. You are. Uh, you, you you have an opportunity not just to have a redemptive arc. So you think, but to be Coach K's last great four year player. You think Coach K in his private conversations with Grayson is making some inappropriate offers to him sexually? <laughs> what do you mean? No, like, what do you mean? Grayson, can you imagine number three up in the rafters? Mm. I think I. Th- I don't know. I don't think Coach K brings that up, but I could see John Shire bringing that up, <laughs> right? Like I, I could see that happening. Plausible deniability. I think Coach K might tell him you can go down as one of the, you know, most important players, you know, because he was a part of a national championship. He has a very interesting career arc, and then yeah. comes back as a senior, has a great year. Let's say he leads the team to a national championship along with his good friend Trey Duvall, and. You know, his number might end up up in those rafters despite sort of the ugliness of the last year or two. Um, he's, you know, his, like, I, I wonder how deep, like, is, is he going to wind up one of the top five scorers? One of, no, right? Um, I, no, think it's a, had, I think it's a stretch. He had very few points freshman year. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a stretch. But if he, top if, ten. If, let's say he came back and he was like, you know, first or second team All-American. If he does it, yeah. You know, and... And a national championship. Then yeah, I think I still a don't think he would. It's possible. I do. Do you think his prospects of being a captain next year are high, or is he such a head case that we go captainless? Next year? <laughs> I think he has to be the captain if he comes back. Because who else is the, who's? So what if Grayson Allen doesn't come back? Who's the captain? Frank Jackson. What, no. what upper class? One of the upper. Have? One of the one of the Rankovich? walk-ons. Justin Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's the captain, man? Uh, no captain. It's a it's a walk. Is there any walk-ons that are gonna be seniors? It probably is somebody. Is that guy the captain? Somebody. A good you question. need a leader. And it, maybe so you, it is Frank Jackson. So you think Grayson Allen 
clearly going to be captain next year if he comes back. I think he has to be. He has to be, even though he's a head case. Yeah, I think he has to be. Okay. Unless he screws something else up between now and then. Yeah, I think okay. he's the captain. And they might make Frank Jackson a co-captain just in case Grayson goes nuts. But Just in case something <laughs> happens. <laughs> well, part of giving someone the captainship is having them buy in as that kind of leader. So it's, it's aspirational. It's not just a reward. It's like that's the second word you've you've invented on this podcast. Aspirational, captainship. Oh. Okay, I bet you captainship's a word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so come on back, Grayson. Uh, the door's wide open. I guess we've run out of time to evaluate all the players this, this season. I was gonna do a quick grade for all the players in the season. You know, this has gone long already. So if it's we can save if, it for if next. We're, if we're out of time. Quick shout out Let's to Quinn Cook. Yes, Quinn Cook. Getting Quinn a Cook. two-year deal. With it's the, not really uh, a two-year deal. It's, it's a one-year deal. One-year guarantee. Next year's guarantee. It's just yeah. It's just next year. Okay, and plus it's probably the, like plus the remainder a of the minimum, season. It's a million dollars. Something like that. But I mean, that's, hey, that's, that's great. Freaking great. It's an opportunity. I actually thought he was too short and too unathletic to make it, but he has, I guess, turned into such a prolific scorer in the D League that. Yeah. The question is like, what is what is he actually? What can he what can he actually contribute? Is he going to be like a scrappy bench score combo guard? Yeah, it seems like that's the sort that's of the facilitating, sort of distributing. He's right. probably going to be like Frank Jackson for them, mm. like a guy who who is expected to run the offense, but he's not. You know, well, look, I'm sure it's going to feel amazing for him to have a guaranteed, like pretty much a guaranteed roster spot next year yeah. after really struggling to like know, like working hard. And not really having a spot in the NBA the last two years. Yeah. Uh, getting cut from the Cavaliers, that Cavaliers team, which would have been a great spot to sort of soak it all in. Right. Um, you know, but still, like, what, what I was impressed with is uh, through social media, you can see the relationships he builds, even with teams he got cut by. Yeah. Like, there's players in the Cavaliers that call him, like, LeBron. LeBron. Yeah. Yeah. Did LeBron? LeBron. Like, LeBron definitely gave him that shout out. Also. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, uh, talk about talk about a kid who's overcome things, you know, with like the death of his father, and just you know he didn't have the best sort of freshman to sophomore arc. Yeah, he was. You know, he definitely kind of somebody's doghouse in the program. The yeah, years. he was in that coach kid doghouse, but. He fought through it. That's what Coach A wants. That's what Coach A loves, I think, is those guys that get overcome the obstacles and prove themselves to be real leaders, you know, and grow within the program. And really what we'd like to see, me and you, I think, is more guys, more guys doing that in the program and not just getting the one-and-dones and the transfers with the guys that don't get playing time. So, like, you know, Quinn Cook could have had, like, a Derek Thornton career arc at Duke. You know, maybe transferred after a sophomore year. Instead, you know, he learned about grit and how to be a gritty guy who's going to earn it through working hard. He did it at Duke. He did it in the D League. Gets a shot. He got two shots. I think the Mavericks signed him first, right? Yeah, it's a either one or two ten-day contracts. Yeah, and then the the Pelicans do and yeah. You know, I, kudos I, I, to him. Yeah, so. I didn't realize the Pelicans had actually brought him in preseason uh, this year. Yeah, so, he, so he had experience with the team and the staff. Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough. Life on the fringe of the NBA can be really tough. Yeah. So, uh, 
It's amazing, and it's a great thing. Uh, there's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised winds up on the staff at Duke at some point. Quinn Cook? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could see yeah, him. I could see that. Although, wouldn't it be nice if we had a, like a big man at some point join the staff? Yeah, I don't think Sheldon Williams is doing anything except raising Candace Parker's kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't, never heard, never thought about Sheldon Williams coming back. Maybe Lance Thomas when he, you know, a couple years, a couple years when he's done. Um, Just anybody the, uh, big, anybody big. <laughs> you know, UNC has Sean May on the bench. He looks like he's put on like 100, 150 pounds. Well, he's, yeah, he was Kennedy Mix before Kennedy Mix was Kennedy Mix. <laughs> but he was good. Yeah. Sean May was, Sean pretty, May was pretty, pretty fantastic. Lonnie Baxter, Sean May, school of uh, pudgy big guys. Um, yeah, all right. Let, let's do the grades super fast. We'll spend two minutes doing it. You serious? Yeah, we'll just we're gonna shout them out, right, real fast. We can't do it justice. No, but go ahead. I mean, they're only like we'll six guys, shot. right? We'll, there's we'll, only five or six we'll guys. That they go. Yeah, there's only six guys. Uh, Let's start out with our point guard, Frank Jackson. Frank Jackson, what's your grade? Uh, grade for the season, B plus. B plus. I'll give Frank Jackson a B minus. Did not live up to what I thought he was going to potentially be. Wow, your hearts. Yeah, I mean, you know, he had a, had a few good games. I mean, Matt Jones. B minus. Okay. Uh, I'll give Matt Jones a... I'll give Matt Jones a B minus as well. <laughs> can't, I can't give him a C plus. He just plays too hard. He's got too much grit. But... um. You know, you can't send him off with a C plus. He was the only healthy guy this year that was steady all year. Grayson Allen for the year, his grade. C plus. I'm gonna give Grayson Allen a D. You know, I, coming in, my expectations were pretty high for Grayson. He still had a pretty good, okay, pretty good season. He was a good shooter. My biggest complaint about yeah, him was... I'm going to give him a C-. Minus. I think he kind of ruined the season. Grayson yeah. Allen? I mean, he kind of like kind of messed up the season a little bit. Felt that way. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I, he had an opportunity to be a leader. I disagree. He did not. He was not the leader he needed to be this year. Yeah, I, 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 I sort of agree with you decent. in that regard. But I don't know if I would blame this season on him. Yeah, no, I, I'm not blaming it all on him. You know, I just feel like... The best version of Grayson Allen deserves an A. We didn't get A. We can get an A for the season for him. We and we didn't get a B. We got at best a low C and maybe like kind of a D based on what definitely what we not a could D. have thought. You know, I'm I'm I'm, ba- I'm like okay, he's sitting on the bench when he comes in the game. He's an asset. His you know, handicap. Like, he is, is a bit. He's a big time asset when he checks into the game. Right. I mean, I'll take Grayson Allen on the court, you know, all day long. But I'm talking. I'm, I'm kind of doing the grades by what my expectations were and how they performed for their own potential. Yeah. Um, so and Jason that, Tatum gets graded on a different curve than Chase Jeter. You know, they should. Right. Uh, right. We probably should have figured that out before we started grading everybody. <laughs> Luke Kennard. Um, yeah, I guess A minus. But, a minus. But that is... That is because offense is significantly outweighed, outweighs defense. Like, I've had more than a few people tell me that 
we're getting better by losing Luke Kennard. He's just so bad on D. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he was part of our so defensive weakness. So bad on D. But his offense was so spectacular. He it sing- was great. I feel like a few times in this season he single-handedly saved our season. Like, if we had lost to Wake Forest at Wake Forest, and if he didn't go 10 for 10 from the floor and nail that yeah, game-winning no three, we leaned like on him. Our, our season could have been sunk. Like, people could have given up on the yeah. team like uh, NC State gave up on Mark Godfrey. First of all, he, he beat expectations in terms of his, in terms of his development. Mm-hmm. And he, his the whole first half of the season, I thought we completely leaned on him. Like he was the most efficient player we've had in recent memory, like in terms of like points per shot attempt. Yeah. And um, yeah, we knew he wasn't a good. Defensive he was spectacular player. offensively. Yeah. He had, he didn't shoot well in a couple of big games down the stretch. But I mean, you know what? Shooters shooters are going to shoot, and shooters aren't, aren't going to always make their shots. Steph Curry has plenty of bad games shooting. Uh, so I'm giving Luke Kennard an A minus as well. Emil Jefferson, A minus would be higher, but he got injured, and I think he struggled with that injury the rest of the season. Yeah, I was. He would have been an A early like in the season. Full solid A, a. a pre injury, full a solid plus. A. Maybe yeah, maybe A plus. Yeah, I'm gonna give him an A plus because you know what? It wasn't his fault. It was the injury. You're just a sucker for big guys from the Philly area. Yeah, I love I love Neeson and Neil Jefferson. Uh, Jason Tatum. A minus. Oh wow. I, I feel like he came on so strong. I thought you were so hate. strong. Yeah. He really came on strong. Like the uh, last like month of the season. I'm gonna he, give I'm gonna was, give him an A. He was great. I'm gonna give him an A. He was he he was one of the reasons it was worth watching Duke play this year. Because of his fascinating game, and uh, the, some of the plays he made were incredible. And I just loved his help. His help defense was. He so outperformed all the other freshmen that it's hard not to kind of just you know. I I I'm really interested to see what he does in the. I pros. still was sort of visualizing what he would look like if he was like a junior at Duke. Harry Giles. I mean, is it even fair to give this guy a grade? Give him a grade. Seem like a nice guy. Don't hold this against me, Harry, if I ever run into you in real life. <laughs> D. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give Harry Giles a, a D as well. I feel like, you know, for, for sure it wasn't really his fault, but we just didn't get very much I mean, positive we, out of him. We but. gave him a standing ovation for like a 5.3 rebound game against UNC in the ACC tournament when preseason, if we said that was going to be his one moment, no one would believe you. Yeah, I thought he could be like an absolute dominant player, and it's, and he could have been perhaps if it wasn't for that knee injury. But we'll yeah. never know. And you know, I spent so many uh, so many minutes salivating about Harry Giles. It's just the biggest the biggest tease of of any recruit we've ever had. Even more than Kyrie. At least Kyrie played well for ten games. You know, I think he was a dominant player. When he was on the court for ten games, maybe not the best college point guard ever, but we got zero, zero dominant Harry Giles. Correct. Chase Jeter. I mean, Chase Jeter. Incomplete. 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 Uh, Yeah, I guess that's fair. There's just nothing. We can't really grade. Can't really grade the other guys. I mean, Bolden, disappointing. Bolden's got to be an F. (laughs) An F. I'll give I'll give Bolden like a I'll give Bolden a D as well. 
Um, he just didn't get on the court. Uh, yeah, I'm giving him a C minus. I feel like he should have gotten on the court more. C minus, huh? Okay. Come on. <laughs> Coaching staff. Uh, F. F from you. I'll give him. I'll give him a D. It just, uh, you know, a lot it of it was out of their control. No, it was in their control, and they failed. Yeah. Pr- primarily uh, rotation, minutes, lack of focus on defense, and I still stand by my statement that any other coach with this talent would have much better results. You know, and and I, I go back to the ACC tournament. You made fun of me for still being critical of, of the coaching staff at the time. Like, his adjustments are just mind-boggling. You know, like, UNC in the first half in the ACC tournament, they're just killing us in the paint. He checks in Bolden. I think we're going to go with two bigs, but he doesn't. He just doesn't adjust. Luckily, we out, outshot them in the second half. We're gassed against, like, Notre Dame, and, uh, like, he runs a full-court press. Like, it's just – which I thought was super ineffective and you thought was sort of okay as a change of pace. He did that against South Carolina, and he pulled it immediately because it was laughably bad, ineffective. So well, it was a strange, F, strange year, strange year for, for you. Coach, suck, Coach K's health. <laughs> I thought Cable was kind of all right, but like overall, the entire coaching effort, yeah, it was a failure, right? Like we yeah. just didn't perform like we could have. However, I'll also you can't give him an F when we win the ACC championship. F, we got so lucky to win that tournament. And look, in, we, in hindsight, we beat we won the first round NCAA and game. And I'll just say again, every oh every God. single season, this coaching staff pretty much gets the pick of the litter. They can just take whoever they want in the country to reload. I mean, they basically the whole country. You can take the best players, and then this is the product we get at the end of the season. F. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to give them an F as ACC tournament champions and a team that did win, you know, a whole bunch of games and yes. uh, did generally play better down the stretch. But, but you uh, also have to com- you have you have to compare to what I thought was going to happen. Preseason expectations yeah. with the talent I, and the hype on this team. Well, I remember team you was, thought we might only lose three games. I I never after thought the that UNLV game we're doing the over under, but yeah, you know, it wasn't just me. Yeah, no. I think they're preseason number one. I feel like in episode one, I said Duke Nation needs to temper down our expectations because uh, this team is being compared to the 2015 Kentucky team. You know, it's just unreasonable. It just shows you how how volatile like uh, results can be for freshmen. Like we think Wendell Carter and Gary Trent and Trey Dubois, we we think we know what's going to happen. We don't. We we're hoping, we're yeah. projecting, we right. think we know, and it, but, but we don't. We don't and, know. And it could work. You know, it could work in like in 2015. Those. Oh, and I just those realized we forgot freshmen. to mention Alex O'Connell in our recruiting roundup. He's committed to Duke. He's going to be on the team. Uh, we. This is the last time we'll ever talk about Alex O'Connell. <laughs> he's going to be transferring in 2019, most likely, uh, after being shown the end of the bench for two straight years. But uh, potentially Alex O'Connell could surprise us and uh, become like, you know, one of these Lee Malchione kind of players <laughs> we need and steps up. All right, so uh, that's it for this week. Uh, I don't know how we talked this long, but if you've reached this point, guys, thank you. And email us so we know they listen to the end. <laughs> yeah, anyone that uh, got to the end of this podcast gets a, gets a free T-shirt. Um, 
you know, just go down to your local store and tell them, tell them what you did, and they'll, they'll probably give you one. All right. Um, thanks for listening. Are we off until the draft? A little bit before the draft? Uh, well, the draft's not until mid-June, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see if anything happens. Um, maybe after the recruiting shakes out, shakes out, we can come back. We can do, uh, do something. We'll see. Cool. Yeah. You may or may not hear from us. Don't expect it. <laughs> uh, or just listen to the first half of this podcast and then save the second half for well, when It's too late. Bored. Tell them at the end, dude. All right. Maybe we should tell them at the beginning. Right, let's get back to our lives. This is a joke. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Always fun. All right. Over and out.